As a new leader, even as a veteran leader, we're often looking for the path, the right answer, the, the framework to operate within so that we know we're doing our best. And, and the funny thing is, is that often, you know, there isn't really a path like you're making it up. It's all invented. Even with that said, you get confidence. You have clarity when somebody says this is the path to take. That's why we like list blog posts, right? 10 ways to do X, Y, and Z. So that was sort of a question my guest had today for his mentor, right? If you are a successful principal and you're saying that the key is observations, well, how long do I need to be in classes? So we'll start there with today's podcast and you'll get the answer of what Craig Randall's mentor said in terms of the amount of time to spend in in classes. Uh, But I want to highlight, too, that Craig talks about trust-based observations, and I truly enjoyed this conversation. He did a great job sharing stories that I think are going to resonate with you. And I just want to highlight one more as well. And it's it's really interesting. You're going to want to hear how he approached this dinosaur, this veteran of a teacher. And when he walked in the classroom, okay, It looked very traditional and things really needed to change. But he bit his lip and he opened up his mind and how that relationship changed and what he learned from that teacher is it really truly is remarkable. So stick around for that part of our conversation as as well. Hey, it's Daniel and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is a show for you, a ruckus maker, an out of the box leader making change happen in education. We're so glad you're here. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Experience self-paced online PD that fits your schedule. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Imagine a tool that allows you to deliver lessons from anywhere, which allows students to connect from anywhere and with any device. And it integrates with tools you already use like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams. If you think that sounds too good to be true, I can assure you it's not. That's why I'm proud to introduce you to the Smart Learning Suite online. Learn more at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Hello, Ruckus Maker. Today, I am joined by Craig Randall, an experienced uh, counselor, coach, teacher, and principal. And that set him up perfectly, these experiences, to develop a model of teacher observation focused on building trusting relationships that spark teaching and learning growth. As the author of Trust-Based Observations, Craig is on a mission to change the world of teacher observations to a model of support that fosters risk-taking, innovation, and creativity. 
Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Danny. I'm really excited to be here. I am excited too to dig into this content, uh, trust-based observations. I would have loved to have been a part of that as a as a teacher back in the day. And you're a wealth of knowledge on this on this uh, you know topic. And so we have a lot of value to share with ruckus makers today. I'd love for you to start with a story talking about your mentor who changed your thinking about observing classes. Sure. Thanks. Um, so, I, I mean, I felt some frustration with the observation process anyway, even in its best uh, scenario where you're observed once or twice a year. It just felt infrequent and so formal. And so I just I wanted something more. I maybe wanted a chance to show off. I wanted to learn more. And then I had a principle where for two straight years, we weren't observed at all, which as some of us know is more common than we think. And so about that time, feeling frustrated, and I would talk to people about the observation process, and people had similar frustrations, but their mindset was more like, well, it's just the way it is. It's just the system. And so right around that time, I started my principal certification program, and I met my mentor, Warren Aller, at Western Washington University in Bellingham. And in his class, he immediately started talking about how you have to be in classes every day, how you have to be observing, how you have to be supporting teachers, how you have to be having reflective conversations, supporting them to improve their teaching and learning growth. And I just remember having this hallelujah light bulb moment, like, oh my gosh, this is somebody that like, this is what I wanted to hear. So I need to hear it. Maybe it's not just me. And I remember asking him like, okay, okay, okay. But how long do you have to be in class? And, and, uh, I think sometimes like great teachers, they just do what they do without even really thinking about it because they're just naturals. And I think he was like that. And he just was like, just in class, in class. I was like, but how much time, how much time? And then finally he said an hour a day. And I was like, okay. And it turned out it was like 20 minute observations. So three 20 minute observations a day. And so then in his class, we would practice observing and having reflective conversations. So we would all have to bring in these 10 minute lessons to teach and one of us would teach and then another of us would do the observation. And then immediately afterwards, we would have a reflective conversation and it was anchored back then. And it still anchors trust-based observations today. It was, what were you doing to help students learn? And if you had to do over again, what, if anything, might you do differently? And I don't think I really realized it at the time, but that is just a massive schema shift from the model where Afterwards, as observers, we go in and tell the teachers what they were doing, give them ratings on everything, uh, hopefully share something good with them, and then tell them what to get better at. Instead of that, instantly, it's not about me as the observer. It's about you as the teacher and what your thoughts are about it. And when I went into practice, teachers were just so thankful to have you ask them about their teaching. And many of them said, I've been teaching 20 years. No one's ever asked me before. And really... Just his simple message with that was really the beginning of what evolved over time into trust-based observations. What's wild about the story is a lot of times these things that we think um, are so common really aren't, that they're uncommon. And I'll never forget, you know, the the school I was at in uh, Texas as a principal, uh, I was the first one to meet with the uh, custodial staff, the cafeteria staff, the main office staff, bringing them together in in consistent meetings, talking about vision and where they plugged into it all. And so what you shared there, just the fact that uh, you're getting frequent observations and you have a leader who's asking you about your craft, right? And how you want to get better is so empowering uh, in in terms of uh, that process. But, you know, I think you noticed something too when you were starting your admin program, 
again, maybe common to us, uncommon to others. And some of your peers, your colleagues, uh, they were commenting on the feedback uh, observation cycle and just saying that's just the system, right? Yeah. Um, so can can you give us the context of why they were saying that and maybe, you know, why those comments are a bit troubling? Well, I mean, look, I, I think with people, there's all kinds of different people, right? There There's innovators, there's risk takers, there's people that go along to get along, there's rule followers, there's rebels, there's all kinds of different people. And so if we look at the system right now that's been in place for really, I'd say, since No Child Left Behind in the early 2000s, it became an increasing mandate to be more accountable, more accountable, more accountable, thinking that that was how we could improve teaching, or maybe at the very least get rid of teachers that weren't as good. But really, the research has shown that what we're doing right now isn't working. And the Gates Foundation actually spent seven years and $200 million on a project to improve the quality of teaching, improve student learning outcomes, and improve graduation rates through basically the development of a more robust teacher observation evaluation process. So seven years, $200 million. They had the RAND Corporation, like they often do, come in and do a study. And at the end of that, they said there was no sustained improvement. So the real problem is that what we're doing isn't improving teaching and learning. And to me, if we think about teachers and why teachers get into teaching, because we have huge hearts and we want to make a difference in the lives of young people. And so when you have this increased accountability rating and grading you on all these different areas of teaching, not that the areas of teaching aren't accurate indicators, but you can be missing many areas of teaching and still be an amazing teacher. And so this putting it into a box because teaching is craft and art is not really the best way to do it. And then to great people, actually, there's a man named Matt O'Leary that did a bunch. He's out of Great Britain. And to me, he's the predominant researcher on observation evaluation in the world. And his qualitative research said that as soon as we start to evaluatively rate or grade pedagogy, people stop taking risks, stop innovating, and stop creating and just play it safe. So it's actually having the opposite effect on what we want to do to improve teaching and learning. Well, a lot of those rubrics, like you said, you know, teachers have big hearts, right? And they want to make a big difference in terms of uh, their kids' lives. And the fact that uh, in the rubric, where do you see that, right? You might see something about relationships and seeing the kids, but it might not have as much heart as you'd like. And so that's interesting, the the research you just quoted there and the fact that it's not having a big impact, right? And the Gates Foundation, seven years, 200 million, working with RAND too. Like, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's pivot, right? If you keep doing the same thing and expect different results, they say that's uh, insanity. So exactly. what is going on with that? So, all right. Well, um, for some of our ruckus makers listening, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wide variety, right? Some might be uh, newer principals, some are veterans, 20 years. Uh, there's, there's retired principals that listen. Uh, but I want to talk to the novice principals right now too, um, because you were in those shoes once and you had to give feedback to veteran principals, but that was a very uncomfortable experience for you. Uh, so any tips or, or tricks to get past that? Well, I'll share a story then, I guess, about a failure or a, or a near failure anyway, is I came in as a new principal after two years as an assistant principal. And 
And I had these heart beliefs and these everything that we've talked about so far. But at the same time, I think maybe my vision of teaching was a little too strict and rigid in terms of progress, my progressive. I maybe had my own little box about what progressive teaching was. And I had a teacher who I remember was, had been teaching over 20 years. He was a IV biology and biology teacher. And he was up at the top lecturing and, and in rows. And I just, like I'm a big cooperative learning guy and Kagan. And so I just seeing the rows was always cringy to me. And, and uh, I remember feeling like I need to help this guy make some changes into his practice. And being new, something just told me to wait. And as I was waiting, being new to the school, I found out that his IB scores year over year were over one and a quarter points above world average, which is massive. And uh, so (laughs) I'm so thankful I waited because then I went back and I started watching him and I thought I need to look at him in a different way. And I started to see things like he was relentless. He did not let anyone not work not succeed, not reach their potential. He, as an example, every time they went over a new learning target or an IB target, he had every student in the class have a paper copy of all the IB two-year goals. And he would make them pull that paper out and he would make them turn to that page and he would make them write today's date so they could line it up. And this is the goal that we're working on. So that was just one example. And then he had this really dry sense of humor that played really, really well with the kids. Like if a kid was messing around, he'd say, what, do you want to go to Foosball University? And the kids loved that. And like he turned his clock off and the kids hated it, but loved it because he didn't want them clock watching. And then as I looked at it more, yeah, he was lecturing, but it was also a lab science class. So there was a lot of time spent in the labs. And so I eventually went and talked to him, but this time I went and talked to him from a different way. And I said, what you're doing really works. I'd like you to put on a PD for the rest of the faculty. And he said, I'm a dinosaur. What do I have to tell them? And I I had to persist for like five months to get him to do it. But the beginning of the next year he did, and he titled it Jurassic 101, which I thought was priceless. And he basically ended up talking about a lot of the things we were talking about, about accountability and relentlessness and holding the kids to a high standard. And out of a staff of about 45, six of the younger teachers came up to either him or me afterwards. And they said, thank you so much. For the first time, I feel like I have permission to demand more of my students. And so for me, it was a, it was a huge lesson on so many levels. Like one, teaching is craft and art, and there are a million different ways that you can be an A teacher. There's not just one way that you can be an A teacher. And two, patience. Take time to get to know your teachers because you will see different different elements out of them and you don't want to make a mistake and offer a suggestion on something that might be a strength that you don't realize is. Yeah, because, you know, if you're acting on some sort of a worldview and, you know, perspective that, okay, rows are bad, you know, that's traditional and we, and, 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 and honestly, right, I'm the ruckus maker guy. So uh, the, the <laughs> rows would bother me, but I appreciate what you're saying too, because, uh, you're basically summoning Peter Drucker in a sense. He said to be first to listen and the and the last to speak, right? And so if you went in there, young buck, you know, new principal telling this uh, uh, Jurassic Park dinosaur of a veteran teacher, break up the rows, collaboration, et cetera, et cetera, you would have missed all the, the like you said, craft and art of his um, professional presence. And 
I want to dig into that a bit more because you listen to your gut, but can you, can you talk a bit of how you then approached, right? The class to see it differently, if that makes sense. Cause okay. You saw the data, a point and a quarter above world averages. Wow. He's, he's doing something right. Yep. But, but so how did, how did the perspective change after that? Can you remember? I I don't know. Well, I, I just know I went in and I just told myself just, just like open up like my own, my own mind and my own view and, and put my own restrictions on what I thought good teaching is as a side. I definitely remember having thoughts like that, maybe not as articulately stated as I just did. And then I just started watching and, and just with, through that open watching, I just started to notice things. Like I started to notice the relentlessness. I started to see the humor more. I started to see how much the students respected him. Like sometimes that strict taskmaster and I'm not saying he was necessarily that, but students can really, really appreciate that. And you could see the respect for the students did, which maybe I was just so focused on the traditional things that I didn't look at the whole lesson and, and the reactions to the lesson. Like, what's the learning going on? What's the interactions? And so I think I just allowed myself to maybe try and be more of a blank slate as an observer. Yeah. And the other thing I want to point out real quick before the break for the ruckus maker listening is that this teacher was performing at a high level. And I believe like for your superstar employees, you have to have a different, almost evaluative model for them too. And if you didn't catch it, the brilliant thing that Craig did here uh, is he, he recognized, he acknowledged uh, the, the, the amazing stuff happening in the class. And he was relentless in asking that teacher now teach the staff, right? And so to have him give back in the community uh, and, and to think too, you're not done yet, right? You're not retired. You, you may be Nobody a dinosaur. Ever. Yeah, but you have so much value to offer. What a great way to loop them in and to teach the future of, of the school, demand more from your kids. I mean, you know, I have goosebumps from that story. That was a really powerful one, Craig, and I appreciate you sharing it. It's you know, it's funny because with the trust-based observation, one of the most powerful elements of it to me is because we're continually cycling through 12 teachers a week, 12 teachers a week. We really, really see who's best at what. And then because we really know it firsthand, we do tap into that and we actually connect the, the areas on the uh, on the pedagogy, the, on the template to professional development and goal setting, but they're teacher-led professional development communities. So you're constantly empowering your teachers throughout your whole school because of it. And what that does for the whole culture is, is amazing. Beautiful. Well, Craig, we're going to pause here just for a moment. Uh, I'm going to get a message from our sponsors. And what I'm going to say is when we get back, let's talk a little bit about that empowerment and having uh, teachers take risks and what you've seen them try. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership Program. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. We're now enrolling for February and June 2021. Courses include Leading Change, Leading Schools, and Leading People. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Ruckus Maker. 
I want to tell you about a remote blended learning tool your school needs right now, Smart Learning Suite Online. As a teacher, you can create, store, and deliver lessons from anywhere, no smart board required, and your students can access and engage with your content from any web browser on any device. No matter what your classroom looks like right now, Smart Learning Suite Online offers many options for flexible learning, engaging students via collaborative workspaces and game-based activities. Smart Learning Suite Online integrates with tools like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams, making it an easy-to-use way to create engaging content and connect with students. Learn more and get started at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Craig Randall. He's the author of Trust-Based Observations, and Craig is on a mission to change the world of teacher observations to a model of support that fosters risk-taking, innovation, and creativity. So, Craig, let's talk about risk-taking because, you know, there's not really a nice way to say it. I think a lot of schools and districts are full of it, right? They say we want innovation. They say we want you to take risk, and the second you stick your neck out there, bam, you're slammed with the uh, metaphorical, hopefully metaphorical two by four, and you put back in your place. So how did you build that safety uh, to really have teachers take a risk? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we actually have on the forum, uh, an area that, but it's not really there as an area that we're looking for. It's an area to remind us as observers is we have risk-taking and innovation. And one of the things that we tell our teachers regularly in the reflective conversation, and let's be clear, that's where the relationship and the magic happens is in the reflective conversation. That's where the trust begins to be built. But one of the things we always say to our teachers is, we want you to know that if we come into your class and we observe you trying something new that completely bombs, you can rest assured that the next day and during the reflective conversation, you will receive a congratulatory fist bump. And when teachers know that and experience that, and really, really believe that, then they feel safe enough to build risk. It's interesting. I posted a thing on LinkedIn and Twitter last week on that. And I had two teachers tell me, one teacher told me that they were fired for taking a risk on a time when it bombed. Another teacher told me she ended up, she was an A teacher and she ended up being on an observation plan or an action improvement plan for that. And it's so sad to me that that would happen. And this teacher ended up going on to another school and it's gotten all outstandings. I'm not into the ratings at all anyway, but it's like, that's the opposite of what we want to do. So I would say one, asking those questions first. That's the first thing. Two, after we ask questions, we after we ask questions, we share what we observed, which means we're sharing strengths. And so that's a big part of it. Three, for at least the first three visits when we're new to the practice, we don't offer any suggestions because we're getting to new, know them. And even if we've already been there at that as a principal and we're changing our model, we still say we're taking a new look at you. And so because of that, I'm not going to offer any suggestions. We use, of course, as much empathy and use our most best emotional intelligence to drive the tone and, and the words we use. But more than that, too, 
there's so many little things that we do to build trust. Like we have that reflective conversation in the teacher's room because whether you're 7, 17, or 37, going to the principal's office feels like going to the principal's office. So if it's in their own space, they feel more comfortable. We sit beside the teacher with our laptop open so they can see the template right there instead of having the power differential instead of sitting across from them. We ask the question so they can see it. We're transparent the whole way through. And then just what ends up happening over time is teachers trust you. And they'll start saying, the amazing thing is by waiting, they'll frequently start saying, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? And then at that point, you know, there's trust there. I had myself muted, but I said, that's right. And, and <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned that as well, like in conversations, right? When you're listening deeply and somebody says, that's right, that's exactly it. That means you've heard them. And so exactly when you have a teacher saying, tell me, please tell me what to do to get better. They're basically begging you for it. That's a great indicator of trust. So let's talk about what you've seen teachers try that. That trust has been built. Uh, the rapport is there, the relationship, and now they're ready to leap in and take some risks. What are some things you've seen uh, teachers do? Uh, I can think of a, a couple come to mind right away. So one, I had a math teacher who was amazing at relationships. The kids loved her. And look, if I were to throw out a general stereotype, I would say math teachers tend to be the most traditional of all in terms of the way they practice up at the board, doing a problem, then doing the next problem, doing the next problem. The last five or 10 minutes they work on 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 uh, on the on the problems in class in a group or independently, and the teacher works the way around. So I had a teacher that was like that, and we ended up talking to her and talking to her, and she got to that point. And we had another teacher in the building in a different department who had really embraced the flipped classroom and started recording his lectures, and that was the homework. And then almost the whole class was spent doing work together, and so. We brought that up as a suggestion and we hooked her up with that other teacher because she was totally open to it. And she immediately started flipping her class during her lectures. And now when you went in, the kids were so engaged because 45 minutes and what are they doing? They're teaching each other, right? Which that's the highest form of retention of learning. So that's one example. Another example is I had a teacher who was, uh, again, really nice guy, good sense of humor, cared about his kids. His content knowledge was just off the charts. And he was a guy that literally sat at the lectern and lectured for 50 minutes. And well, these were 75 minute block classes. So if you can imagine, and his AP micro and macro, and this was in Korea where the bar is very, very high. His AP micro and macro were on average getting 20, 20, 25% of the kids were getting twos and ones, which is not a pass. And in an environment like that, that's just not acceptable. And so because we had the relationship with him, we were able to recommend uh, a keg and cooperative learning. Uh, and we had some teachers in the building, but we also said, we'll send you to a workshop over the summer. And he just said, yeah, let's do it. And he came back, completely flipped it. And most of the year, the kids were in groups again, doing this keg and learning from each other. Next year, every single kid passed. So that's just two examples of teachers, like really jumping out of the box. And to me, taking huge vulnerable risks to their practice that made really, really meaningful difference in the teaching and more importantly, the student learning. Craig, thank you for uh, sharing all these great ideas around, um, you know, your work and the book, Trust-Based Observations. Uh, before I ask you the last two questions, I ask everybody, is there any other idea or tip that we might have missed regarding trust-based observations that you want to make sure the ruckus maker listening hears? I mean, I did, obviously this is the 
30,000 foot view of it. And so right, I think for right. the basics of it, I think we're covering the basics pretty well. Beautiful. Okay. So you have a, a you could put a message on all school marquees around the world, right? Uh, and it'll show up for just a day. What would you want that message to say? Building trust to foster risk-taking, innovation, and growth. And you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Whew, that's such a good one. So number one is creating trust and building trust with everyone. Absolutely. I mean, I certainly think nowadays we have to talk about equity. And, but I think we want to create a, a like relentlessness where every single person working in that building has a relentless attitude with the freedom to create, because I don't have all the answers, but I know this, when we as a school and every person in the school has the freedom to experiment, we will find all the answers, at least for our school. So that's it. Got it. Well, Craig, thanks again for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Get into classes, care for your teachers, ask them questions, listen, be patient, support their growth so they will be willing to take risks. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.